0: As I was planning what certain subjects I should focus on, all the compromises I would have to make to make it intelligible, I was struck with the immensity of the subject and the very fuzzy nature of a lot of its aspects. Where does one even begin? We have established that Hinduism is really more of an umbrella term for a whole host of various different religious phenomena and traditions that originate on the Indian subcontinent, and what out of all of this should I highlight? And why why? Well, I think there are to some degree two currents of understandings of Hinduism in the West today, both of which are slightly problematic and simplify things to a very large degree. One of them is the idea that Hinduism is simply a polytheistic religion, that the Hindus worship thousands of different gods. Well, this isn't untrue, of course, but it also fails to take into consideration a lot of the complexities of the Hindu theology and many of its different expressions throughout history. And on the other side of the spectrum, we also have the common understanding that Well, basically all of Hinduism equates to Advaita Vedanta, therefore a kind of non-dual pantheism. And this view is equally problematic and is quite new and and modern. But nonetheless, Vedanta as a larger tradition is a very important, one of the most important and influential philosophical and, and intellectual schools or currents in Hinduism. It would therefore, of course, be highly helpful to talk about it. So what then is Vedanta? Vedanta is often listed as one of the so called six schools of Indian philosophy, alongside Samkhya, Yoga, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, and Purva Mimamsa. Now dividing things up into these six schools is critiqued by some today and the subject can be quite complicated and difficult so we're not going to get into this topic today. Instead we will only be focusing on Vedanta in particular and might only sometimes refer to the other philosophical schools for comparison. In brief terms, Vedanta is a school of philosophy or theology that takes as its main inspiration the literature of the Upanishads. The Upanishads are parts of the larger Vedic corpus of texts the last part of the Vedas to be exact. This is also why it is often given the name Vedanta, which means the end of the Vedas, and this is of course also where the philosophical school gets its name, Vedanta. Given that Vedanta is primarily based on the Upanishads, in this general school of thought we find a lot of the same themes and ideas that are common in the Upanishadic texts. They talk about the absolute reality that is the Brahman as well as the self and discuss the relationship between these two. But the Upanishads often appear to give very different and contradictory answers to these questions, which has led to the huge amount of different interpretations and schools within Vedanta. These texts are very, very old, being written somewhere between 1500 BCE to around 500 BCE. The Upanishads, being the last part of the Vedas, were most likely written sometime in the middle of the first uh, millennium BCE. While Vedanta is a school that is primarily based on the Upanishads, it doesn't really appear in the historical record as a school until about a thousand years later. The birth of Vedanta as a philosophical school is often associated with the composition of another group of texts or a collection of texts called the Brahma Sutras. The Brahma Sutras is a kind of commentary on the Upanishads that often consist of very short sentences that are incredibly difficult to decipher. There is huge disagreement about the date of the authorship of the Brahma Sutras. It is traditionally attributed to the sage Badarayana, who lived a few centuries BCE, but many scholars today also think that it was actually composed maybe by many different authors over the course of centuries and may have been finished as late as around 450 CE. And it is indeed only after around this date that we start to see Vedanta appear as a school of thought. It is often said that there are three main textual sources upon which Vedanta is based. The primary, as I said, is of course the Upanishads, but the other two are the Brahma Sutras, these commentaries on the Upanishads, and the Bhagavad Gita, the very famous section from the larger Mahabharata, where Krishna advises the warrior Arjuna during a great battle. And the basis of Vedanta and its various schools often revolve around commentaries, usually called bhāshya, well, so commentaries on these primary texts, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutras, and the Bhagavad Gita. So if we look at one of the great Vedantic scholars, like Adi Shankara, the founder of Advaita Vedanta, you'll see that the majority of his literary output is actually commentaries, Bhashya, on these primary texts. And this is true for most of the scholars and sages of the tradition of Vedanta. Commentaries are so central to the Vedantic tradition, that becomes almost like, a, like an inception uh, kind of situation. Take, for example, this book that I have, of, uh, Shankara's Commentary on the Brahma Sutras. Uh, very large uh, book, obviously. Uh, but so this is then Shankara's Commentary on the Brahma Sutras, which are a commentary upon the Upanishads, which arguably is also kind of a commentary on the earlier Vedic texts. And when you read a modern translation like this, it always also of course contains commentaries by the new translator. So when I read this book, I'm reading a commentary on a commentary on a commentary on a commentary. But, so, what are the features of Vedanta what What is the philosophy of Vedanta? Well, of course, it is multifaceted and, and diverse, but generally, as I said previously, because it is so largely based on the Upanishads and these other primary texts, the general themes of Vedanta are connected to the general themes in those primary texts. So, some of the universal themes in Vedanta is that, that there is an absolute reality called Brahman which shares many similarities with the monotheistic god. Brahman is the absolute, the source of everything. It is one, incomprehensible. According to many interpretations, it is the principle of existence, the very essence of the universe and the oneness behind the veil of illusion, that is multiplicity. Usually, the gods of the Hindu pantheon are seen either as manifestations or different aspects of this absolute principle, or they are identified with it outright. So, for example, to the Vaishnavites who worship Vishnu as the primary and sometimes only God, Vishnu is often identified as being the Brahman itself or the the sort of manifested version of Brahman with attribute as a as a god. Now, this stuff can get somewhat complicated and complex theologically, and we will talk about it more properly later on, but you could say that the Brahman is, in a way, the central theme in all of Vedanta and all of its different interpretations They all interpret the Brahman and its relationship to the world differently, but the Brahman is always there as the sort of central point, the central theme. The second central concept is the Atman, the self. This is not necessarily equal to the individual soul or self. The soul is often referred to as the Jiva or Jiva-Atman, but instead the Atman tends to refer to a more transcendent or universal self, a kind of consciousness that pervades all things and that we all share in. Unlike Buddhism, which denies the existence of an absolute self at the core of our being, Vedanta will often affirm that while the separate self that we usually identify with, so our body and our mind or thoughts, is an illusion, there is indeed a self or consciousness that is at the core of our being, but which isn't limited to our individual identity. And this then is the Atman, the great self the self with a capital s so to say so all of vedanta has these different themes or concepts as core features, the only difference between the, the different schools interpretations being in how these two relate to each other. So what is the relationship between the absolute reality of the Brahman and the, the, the self of the Atman, or Brahman and the world generally? The earliest, or at least one of the earliest schools of Vedanta is what is known as Beda Beda, which means literally a difference and non-difference in Sanskrit. And as the name suggests, this this idea is that the Brahman and the self, or Brahman and the world, are both the same and different at the same time. Thus, it is not strictly monistic, but still holds a kind of difference between the two, but this difference is never really explained, but is left a kind of mystery. But the most famous and probably most influential schools of Vedanta are probably the triad of Advaita Vedanta, Vishishtadvaita Vedanta, and Dvaita Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta is most strongly associated with the 8th century sage Adi Shankara, who is often considered its founder. Advaita literally means not two, and is a non-dual interpretation of Vedanta and the Upanishads. This means that Shankara and his followers consider the Atman and the self to be completely identical with the Brahman. In Advaita Vedanta there is only the Brahman, it is everything that is. All multiplicity that we experience in the universe is only an illusion called Maya. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, it's not a kind of existential nihilism, but an affirmation that we are deceived into believing that there are all these different things, like me and you, that tree or that building, when in reality all of it is only the Brahman, and thus is fundamentally one and unified. Advaita Vedanta is thus an extreme monism. The Atman is completely identified with the Brahman, and salvation or liberation is to be reached primarily through knowledge of this fundamental truth. This is often referred to as Jnana Yoga, so the, the, the yoga of knowledge. So liberation is reached through, through knowledge and studying, so that we can know ourselves and have a knowledge of our true selves, which we come to realize eventually is identical to the absolute reality of the Brahman. Vishishtadvaita Vedanta, on the other hand, is often attributed to the later sage by the name of Ramanuja. He didn't like how Advaita seemed to downplay the importance of devotion to God in his manifest form, that is Vishnu, in favor of a more abstract speculation about the attributeless Brahman. His system, often translated as qualified non-duality, presents a modified version of Advaita. It is still a somewhat non-dual and monistic philosophy, but changes some fundamental things. In Vishishtadvaita, the Brahman without attributes, known as Nirguna Brahman, is rejected. Instead, it emphasizes the image of God or Ishvara, Lord, as a being with attributes that has will and power and, and so on. Liberation is not reached through knowledge of truth and of our true self, but through the grace of God and through devotion, or bhakti, to that God. In other words, Ramanuja and his followers wanted to retain the importance of ritual worship of the deity in the different temples, for example, something that Advaita's absolute monism seemed to deem at least somewhat unnecessary. The self and Atman are not completely identical to the Brahman, but instead are conceived of as being in the Brahman, being part of the Brahman, but still under the control and ruling power of God. Hence, the world is not an illusion, it is real and functions kind of like the attributes or body of God. He is in control and controls the body, just like a human being controls his body, and yet they are still very much a part of him. This is why it is given the name Vishishtadvaita of non-qualified non-dualism. The school has probably been the most influential and has basically served as the main theological position in Sri Vaishnavism, That is, again, those who worship Vishnu as the primary god, which also has been basically the dominant form of Hinduism historically, to generalize a little bit. On the very other side of the spectrum, from Advaita Vedanta, is Dvaita Vedanta, and is associated with the thinker Madhvacharya. So, whereas Advaita means non-dual, or not two, Dvaita Vedanta means dual Vedanta, or usually translated as dual Vedanta. It is a dualistic interpretation of the Upanishads and source literature, in the sense that the Brahman, or God, and the self and the world are seen as fundamentally separated. In other words, we have here moved away from monism completely and arrived at a theology that proposes the fundamental difference between God and the world. They are two different realities, strongly connected, of course, but still fundamentally different. Much like in Vishishtadvaita, Dvaita, the emphasis here is placed on devotional worship of this external God – Uh, as opposed to in Advaita Vedanta, where the focus is on Jnana Yoga, that is the the yoga of of knowledge of of our true reality. I think one of the best visual explanations I've ever seen for the difference between these three schools is one that I found in in a YouTube video a few years back. I can't remember the actual video, but it is a lecture where they try to explain the differences between these schools of Vedanta. And in this lecture, the lecturer talks about um this in 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 terms of circles so if we think of it as one big circle that represents the brahman the absolute reality and then a smaller circle which represents the individual self and we could also think of it as the world or the universe generally Um, And so to start, we can look at Dvaita Vedanta, that is dual Vedanta. According to Dvaita, we can imagine the large circle existing, and then the small circle is beside it, it's outside of the large circle, signifying that the Brahman and the self or the world are completely separated realities. If we then move on to Vishishtadvaita, qualified non-dualism, here we have the large circle and then the smaller circle inside of the large circle. Everything is part of the Brahman or God, but is not identical with it absolutely. God remains in control of everything and there is a, a clear difference maintained between god or the brahman, and the individual self or the world. Lastly then, Advaita Vedanta conceives of a large circle, and then no small circle at all. There is only the big circle, any small circle would be an illusion, maya, all is equal to the brahman, which alone is. This is very simplified, of course, and only really tackles one aspect of the differences between these schools, but I think it's a very nice and clear way of visualizing and trying to understand the differences between these three schools. So clearly there is a big diversity here. Even within the larger philosophical school of Vedanta, there exists many different interpretations and and, and sub-schools of thought, which can have diametrically opposite ideas about reality and the relationships within it. Advaita Vedanta, which often takes center stage in discussions about Vedanta in the West and is often even equated with Vedanta generally or even Hinduism generally is only one of these schools of Vedanta and it hasn't even been the most widespread in history even though it has of course been very influential and important. It is really only since the 19th century with thinkers like Sri Ramakrishna and Vivekananda who presented a a version of Vedanta and Hinduism to the west that was often heavily influenced by philosophically oriented Advaita Vedanta in particular and very much downplayed many of the so-called, well, religious or ritualized aspects of Hinduism that Advaita Vedanta in particular really started to take root in in the Western world. And this is indeed an important point. With the influence of thinkers like the mentioned Vivekananda, Vedanta and Advaita specifically has come to have quite a strong presence in the so-called Western world today. The version of Vedanta or Hinduism that Vivekananda and other similar missionaries presented was one where the ritual and religious aspect were often downplayed in favor of more purely philosophical ones. He equated basically all of Hinduism with Vedanta and at the same time presented a version of it that was free from much of the religious ritual and devotion. The view of Hinduism in the West generally has been strongly influenced by the teachings of Vivekananda, which has led to the common idea that Hinduism is more of a philosophy than it is a religion. This is not to say that it is false in any way at all, just that it it has certain new innovative ideas that has adapted to a more Western audience, that, that, that differs it from the more native or traditional ways of practicing Vedanta historically. I think a good takeaway here are two important Important points number one Vedanta does not equal Advaita Vedanta and number two Hinduism does not equal Vedanta I will be diving into some of these schools and different thinkers who was Adi Shankara who was Ramanuja who was Abhinavagupta we will deep dive into Advaita Vedanta Vishishtadvaita Vedanta into Kashmir Shaivism and, and much else so look forward to all of that good stuff As always, I'll see you next time.